Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. As a longtime go-to-market operations leader, I've always been a big fan of Evan Liang, the CEO and co-founder of Lean Data. Very grateful to him for being a guest on the Revenue Engine podcast. Why have I been such a big fan? Well, there are many reasons, but here are just a few. One, Evan is a huge supporter and believer in operations as a function, as a role, and as a key differentiator in your go-to-market. In fact, in our discussion, he highlights his belief that the ops persona is going to be the future star of the go-to-market team. Love it. Two, Evan has brought an amazing product to market that is changing the way companies are managing their lead-to-account processes. As a three-time customer, I'm a huge fan of the Lean Data platform. Three, Evan believes in the power of data. As an operations leader, I know that everything starts with accurate, comprehensive, real-time data. And the biggest reason? He's just an awesome person. In our discussion, Evan shares his original vision for Lean Data and how it has evolved and changed over time. He also shares how they have been able to carve out a new market category and what they have done right that has helped them establish themselves as the market leader. And what is the one thing about Evan that others would be surprised to learn about him? Well, take a listen and find out. So excited to be here today with Evan Liang, the co-founder and CEO of Lean Data, the leader in optimization of your lead to account processes. When I was asked to start the Revenue Engine podcast, there were a handful of inspirational leaders that immediately came to mind. Given what I know about Evan and about Lean Data, of course, I reached out to him and asked him to be a guest. So welcome, Evan, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So let's go ahead and maybe get started with just sort of the launch of Lean Data. So, you know, when you and your co-founder, Calvin, decided to launch Lean Data, it stemmed from a very personal experience and business issue with having poor data. I always say, you know, everything starts and ends with data. You set out to solve a common business problem that not only you are facing, but likely all companies were facing. Can you share more about your vision when you first started out and how has your vision for the company evolved and changed over time, if at all? Absolutely. Happy to. So uh, this was about a decade ago, uh, basically at the start of the marketing automation revolution. And so I was a general manager uh, at a company and I had an inside sales team and we really wanted to add the lead nurturing as kind of a go-to-market motion on top of what was an outbound process. And so we brought in Marketo and started implementing it. And uh, like a lot of many companies at that early stage, we started running into some problems with our kind of our process around it. It was just hard getting it going and as efficient as it, getting the gains and savings that we expected. Um, and when we dug into it, um, so uh, I'm kind of a pro- 
process and product guy by background and really noticed that the data and the manual data was really getting in the way. So whether it be dedupes or for us, parent-child hierarchies, we have uh, different corporate hierarchies. And, and those things kind of made our processes not as efficient as I wanted to be. And we weren't getting the value we needed to uh, out of our marketing automation systems. And so that's when I dug in. Uh, we did some uh, clever things to fix those data issues and make that process a lot more efficient. And that's when the light bulb moment came out for me, which was basically, I bet you a lot of companies are going to struggle with this just like we did. Uh, and they may not have the product and process or resources that I had uh, at my disposal, uh, because in addition to being a general manager, I was the head of the product for my last company, uh, uh, Caring.com. And so I realized that I saw this trend around companies increasingly building more sophisticated stacks uh, combining CRM with marketing automation or order to cash, and they were going to really bring these systems together, and the data was going to be the lifeblood. And so if we can manage that process better, I started realizing there would be a really, really big opportunity to help these companies really drive their sales and marketing motions to be much more efficient. And having been in that role, I realized that there was lots to be gained for that, uh, and this was going to be a really big, massive opportunity. So that's how it all started was, like you said, around some data issues, but uh, how it's, it's really morphed and become much, much bigger than we originally thought when we first started. It's interesting how you can have just somebody has a problem and they go out to solve it and then it becomes, you know, it's obviously a problem for a lot of other folks and you're able to go out and really build a company and a platform around it, the solution. So thank you. Um, you know, as a go-to-market and revenue operations leader, you know, I often find myself educating others, right, on the term of revenue operations. You know, when I think about the term, there are a few different facets, right? There's the actual revenue operations function, right? The function within an organization that, you know, enables, drives, optimizes the revenue process. Then there's obviously the revenue operations role, right? The people or the person that manages the function. So these are all the experts and the professionals and all things operations that really help support the revenue engine. But there's also this emerging market category, right? Called revenue operations. And you, um, you've had a vision of this for several years now, right? Well ahead of many others, which is one of the reasons I was so keen to you know, sit down and talk with you today. It, although it has matured over the past few years, there's still a lot of work to be done to provide thought leadership and really educate the industry on the value and importance of this new market category. Can you um, share a little bit with us about how you were thinking about Lean Data's mission as it relates to defining that market category? And I guess to pile onto that, you know, what have you actually seen in the market in terms of trends? Like how has it evolved and, and where do you see it going? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, again, uh, where we started with is really kind of thinking about the, the, the objective that these team, the sales and marketing teams are trying to accomplish. And what we all ultimately saw was that these, the revenue process needed to become much more aligned. And there was a lot more similarities around how people were running these things. And, 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 and a move towards centralization made a lot of sense. You had to break down these silos that sat between the sales stack and the sales ops people and the mark ops and mark, marketing, uh, marketing ops teams. And that it just naturally made sense that if you really want to be efficient from your sales and marketing or your go-to-market process completely, that these teams started to need to be much more aligned and you needed to have one single process run across it. So that was our problem statement. And Lean Data, where we sat, we oftentimes were never very neat in the sales stack or the mark tech stack. Uh, we were often 
brought in by one or the other to try to conduct a process that involved multiple handoffs around it. And as we took a step back and looked at it, we realized, hey, you guys, this isn't that different. And uh, when we talk to our sales ops or mark ops customers, you guys are actually a lot more similar than you think. You guys are solving similar problems and they kind of cross at different companies. They sit in different places, but they're all very, very, very similar. And so for us, we started off thinking like, look, this needs to be one cohesive end-to-end chain and people need to manage around it. Uh, and the idea of the, the RevOps as more of a strategy and mentality is what we started with, is really saying, hey, look, think about the whole chain together. The best-in-class companies are already doing that. I would highlight a company like Okta, which was calling it go-to-market operations or business operations. But that's basically the concept. They, they had a chance to look at it from the ground up and we started realizing that they needed to have this notion of RevOps and they needed to have this end-to-end journey and they drove massive efficiencies for that. So that's really where we started was thinking about what it should be, what's the end goal, looking at our best-in-class customers and seeing that those guys were already thinking of there, but there wasn't a term around this. And that's where we started uh, coalescing around this term of RevOps was that, hey, this idea of working together, thinking about end-to-end, thinking about the business processes and the fact that the ops team were much more similar. They're always problem-solving driven. And if they work together, you're going to have a better revenue engine. So that's where we started. What, what What's transpired and from a trend line perspective over there is probably the role. Uh, I would say so that the role has kind of taken on this meaning and the role people are really, really uh, gravitating to this notion of kind of rev ops as a role. Uh, and and that, 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 that's an interesting trend line. And I'll be honest, that's surprises how quickly people have coalesced around it. Um, but I, I do want folks not to focus on just the role because that could be a double edged sword, especially for folks coming from like the Markov's world. Uh, they kind of view like, like, hey, this is a way for sales ops to kind of take on rev ops and take over mark ops. And I don't think it needs to be that. The whole goal of this original thing was to break down silos and for people to work together. Uh, and I don't want people to get stuck on titles uh, as a hindrance to really adopting what is the right process and really the best experience for the end users and customers. If we focus on that as the end objective, I think we're going to end up in a much better place. Uh, and how organizations deal with the roles, it's going to be up to your structure actually depends on your go to market right uh how how you how you align um but i I think people should focus on really defining what is the best user experience and that will define what RevOps means for each company yeah that is excellent i love that um i i get asked that quite a bit you know having been in go to market ops and sort of as you said it used to be called go to market ops it's not that it didn't exist right somebody was running it and now we're calling it rev ops but i get asked that question a lot right around the organization does it who should it report to how should it be structured and it really depends on your business. You know, I hate giving that answer, but I always do. I always say it depends because it depends on your business, your selling motion, who your buyers are, right? Who your customers are, what that journey looks like. Um, but most important, like you touched on, is the alignment, right? Around your processes, breaking down the silos and and making sure that you have alignment wherever the people or the people sit, it's the processes aligned, you know, being aligned in the processes, the objectives, the systems, right? The data, Correct. especially. So that's great. I love that. We might finally actually solve sales and marketing alignment here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to call that. That's like taboo, right? You don't want to call it sales and marketing alignment. Let's call it rev ops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's kind of talking a little bit about the data and, you know, operations, kind of that alignment that we're talking about. I watched a video where you were being interviewed where you talked about lean data and said, you know, 
know, you mentioned that more C-level executives are really realizing the role that data as well as operations plays in accelerating or potentially inhibiting revenue growth. And, you know, I really loved that. Um, you know, how is, how is that realization by more and more executives really contributed to the success of Lean Data? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest trend lines we play on is kind of the rise of ops. And really watching the ops organization really helped your go-to-market come from a, an art, right? You know, you had the uh, meat-eating sales reps who, you know, could sell ice to Eskimos and turn it much more into a science <laughs> where it's like data-driven, monitored, you know, process efficiencies. And, and I think the ops role is critical around that. Um, and I talked a little bit about it in our kind of annual conference around OpStars, which is like, hey, the, I think the ops folk persona is going to be the future superstars of the go-to-market, right? And it's important for the executives to realize if they want to make their companies more data-driven, they've got to give the ops people an opportunity to really, you know, uh, step up and have a seat at the table and really help the companies make that evolution. Uh, I think there's still a lot of companies that think of ops as, you know, your Salesforce admin or your Marketo <laughs> admin, you know, it's just like the systems people. Um, and so uh, I really see in my best-in-class customers uh, that those folks aren't just the admins, they're much more problem solvers. And then in my in my future, I, I think the ops people will be the will be the folks designing the systems using data driven or AI technologies and systems of insight to really drive it. And that's an exciting future in my mind because as we all know, you know. Sales and marketing uh, systems and processes are still pretty inefficient today, right? There's a lot of waste on the marketing side. There's a lot of waste on the sales side, whether it be marketing spend that isn't being followed up with and on the sales side, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, quota capacity, you know, uh, underperforming reps, right? There's like, uh, and so we really want to make stuff more efficient because that's better for, for the companies and it's quite frankly better for, for our economy if, if we're more efficient around that. So that's where I tell, tell C-level executives, hey, hey, this is where the, the puck is skating to uh, and, you know, um, and to, 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 to jump on this bandwagon, hire some great ops professional. And that's why you see so much demand in the fast-going companies for ops. Uh, you know, it's hard to hire those folks. The good ones are really, really hard. Uh, but it's uh, it, like if, it's kind of like, you know, if, if there's someone young coming out that I think has this right mentality, if this is the right problem solved, go into ops, right? Uh, there's a bright future ahead for you. And, you know, uh, you know, good executives are going to be looking for those business partners that can help really help make their organizations much more, much more data-driven uh, and, and drive insights for them. Yep, I love that. And, and and make sure that you know, I didn't pay you, Evan, for talking about how great ops is and how important the ops role is. <laughs> but that was perfect segue into a lot of the conversations, a lot of things that I've been talking about, too. So... Um, so let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the product. Um, you know, you raised your Series C back in March of last year, right? Or excuse me, of 2019, after doubling your revenue, right, in the prior year. And as I shared with you, I'm a three-time customer, right? So I'm not surprised, right? There's so many great tools, as you mentioned. There's tons of tools now for all things revenue. But from my perspective, there's really nothing. There's nothing really out there that does what Lean Data does the way it does it. How has your product offering and differentiation really helped in accelerating your revenue growth and expanding your customer base? Like, what are some of the things that you feel like you did right from this perspective that really helped establish yourself as the market leader? Yeah, so... 
think Lean Data from the beginning has always been around solving the business problem. So it wasn't that we chose the market. Uh, we ended up doing going into kind of category creation, which I have to say is uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're probably midway through those uh, those innings. Uh, is probably like a lot harder than picking an existing category. You know, like I think someone like Zoom, uh, Eric had already built uh, web conferencing. He just built it better at Zoom. That's a faster way to get to higher revenue. <laughs> <laughs> for years a little bit of just education and pain. Uh, but that being said, what we did first was just really focus on the business problem and really focus on our customers. So internally, we say uh, our number one uh, cultural value is customer first, and we really want to live up to that. Um, and so the way the evolution of the company is, is just getting really close to our customers, having an open mentality and mindset, and always asking why. So uh, one of our biggest, earliest innovations was around lead to account matching. That's not what we originally set out to do. Uh, we already set, set up solve data problems. But what happened was a couple of customers came to us early days uh, to I'd highlight Marketo and Palo Alto Networks. And they said, hey, we like your matching over here. Can you apply it over here? And a lot of companies, if you're set on what you do, instead of asking the why, would have been like, no, that's not, that's not what we built. Go away. You know, this is what our contract uh, and we were just like, no, cur- they just have this sense of curiosity. And, and we we're just like, what do you mean by that? Well, why are you trying to do that? Uh, and that led us really be like, that was our first really big breakthrough and in innovation was around that because we're like, wow, this is a really big problem. And I bet you our other customers aren't talking about this, right? But they probably have the same problem. So we went back to them. They're like, yeah, didn't know anyone could solve that. And so that's kind of how you kind of drive that innovation insights. Uh, one of the things we did early on for some of the early stage companies uh, that I would definitely do again is when my first head of product came on board and he's still with us, uh, and I said, you can't run my product roadmap unless our customer success and implementation team reported into you. Now, this is when we were really small. Oh, wow. um, they either split apart, but I was like, it's too early. I need you to be in there solving our problems with our customers. Don't try to automate or try to build things too fancy until you actually know what these guys are working on. And so implementation mm-hmm. uh, customer success reported into them for a couple of years until we defined the product much more and then we split it out. But I would do that again at the earliest stages because he had ideas of what he wanted to do. And then when he when he started working with our customer, he's like, yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. We need to focus on this first. And I was like, absolutely right. So so so, so that tight integration with uh, between our, our customer success team and product team still happens today. Those things are still very, very tight. And I believe that gives us much more interesting product insights and allows us to have that focus uh, around our customers, uh, around that value. Got it. Well, that well, that definitely answers sort of my next question was around customer success and customer value. And I think you've, you know, definitely answered that question. Now I under- completely understand your philosophy around why your customers are so happy with you and why they are successful because you're constantly listening to them and figuring out how to make the product better to solve their real life issues. Yeah, so. I think and then, yeah, and it starts like a customer by customer. And what generally what you want to speak to is there's generally these lighthouse customers uh, that kind of are the kind of your true innovators uh, that you just want to glom on to invest a little bit more and they kind of lead the way for other people. Uh, the hard thing around this is just uh, that as you get bigger, you just need to, there's a lot of noise, right? You can't go off on every single tangent because some customers, are they the edge case or are they the main case? Are they just ahead of the curve? or you 
know, that you sometimes solve. It's, it's not a perfect science. Um, and that's where, you know, I think uh, the data analysis and, you know, the intuition that comes from 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 your executive teams have to have to come in place. Uh, uh, but it's always a constant evolution. I think we're at the same scale where, you know, the next layer for us around customer success is adding uh, data insights and, and really investing in that and really looking across our customer base for the insights that we can drive around that and maybe giving that insights back to our, our, our customer. You know, here are what the best in class or companies are doing. Here's the benchmarks that you'd want to do all around that. And, and that's a big area of a, a renewed emphasis for us because we want to continue to be pushing the envelope for our customers on behalf of all of them. Uh, and that's part of the value of why people, uh, I think, work with data. Yep, absolutely. Oh, I'm excited to see that <laughs> as a customer. <laughs> I'm excited to be able to be part of that. Um, so, so one of the things you kind of touched on earlier when we were talking about RevOps and sort of the operations professionals kind of being of the future, right? Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that you that Lean Data puts on is the OpStars event, right? So can you um, tell me a little bit about, you know, because I think, I mean, obviously the ops, ops piece, I think, maybe let me step back a second here. So I think with the, you touched a little bit on the ops um, professionals, right? And sort mm -hmm. of them being the future. And I think that Lean Data does an amazing job, right? in recognizing ops professionals, right? And helping to really elevate that function overall. Um, you spoke to it a little bit without me even prompting you <laughs> or asking mm -hmm. about it. So it's obviously a firm belief that you have personally. And obviously, as I shared with you, you know, I've been on a personal mission myself to really try to elevate the function. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the idea behind OpStars? Like, how did that idea come about? You know, what were sort of the initial goals? Goals that you had set out to achieve with the event? And then I guess, how would you like to see the event evolve over time? Absolutely. So uh, I think there's the term, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So OpStar is interesting. And this was a true story driven by some folks in our marketing team. I fully give them credit. It was not actually <laughs> something that I, I moved up. Uh, the original goal was just to have a presence at Dreamforce. And being a small, scrappy startup, it's really expensive to be a Dreamforce. And so we started off with the idea of just having a lounge so we could gather and have meetings and bring our customers together. Uh, and so someone on my marketing team, uh, a guy named Billy, actually came up and said, hey, you know, there's a restaurant. We can rent out the restaurant for three days. Uh, it's not in the exact corridor that people typically think about for Dreamforce. It's about a block and a half away. It's on New Montgomery. It was a restaurant called True Naman. Uh, it's a shame, actually. They got impacted by the pandemic and have a show. Okay. show so I'm actually really sad about that because I really like that restaurant. Uh, and so we just rented out the restaurant, and the idea was to give a place for a meeting. And since we had the place for three days, we decided, you know what? Let's just have some speakers to, to, to draw folks in. And I think the big thing around the speaking slots was we wanted it for ops buyouts. So we were like, hey, we don't want pitch sessions. We have some partners and it's got to be useful for our ops folks. That was the, the main criteria we told our partners and ourselves is you have no pitches. You have to bring up real customers and they have to talk about what they what, what, what how they're solving their problems. Um, and so this is the part that was interesting because my bet was people were going to come there for the food. I thought the food was going to be more that that was going to be the draw. Do they really want to live people? I don't know. You know, and we did it Thursday afterwards and it was amazing. Like, yes, the food was a draw, but the content was amazing. They were like, we got like the ENPS score was like nine out of 10. Everyone was like, this is wow. way better 
content than what you see at Dreamforce because that content isn't really for us. You know, uh, Dreamforce has gotten so big, and Dreamforce is a great event. I'm not knocking, but it was just gotten so big and so spread out. They were like, this was a small, intimate session where we can really learn from our peers, and there isn't a place for that. And so we, the, 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 this is of value to us, and, and we were like, wow, we're on to something here. And so from then on, OpStars has always been for ops by ops. We just want the content to be great. No pitches. We really want people to come to a session to really learn. Uh, and that's kind of evolved from a small restaurants to two restaurants to the San Francisco Mint, which is like 90,000 square feet and just continues to grow. Uh, and for us, we really see our mission as really, again, helping the ops professional, helping the rise of ops, right? Giving them a forum to come together. And, and the big thing that we see is ops professionals, uh, have some unique uniqueness uh, to them. They, you know, sometimes they feel underappreciated. This is a chance to highlight them. So, Obstars Awards is a really big deal. We really, really want to recognize the best in class people, give people role models to look up to, uh, and then just continue to share great content. We really played around with workshop content, so really hands-on ways for ops professionals to learn, and, and, and that's really the the mission of the group. We keep it. It's um, you know, we keep it as an industry event. We love to invite. Uh, other partners uh, from day one, actually, uh, partly because we were a small startup at that point in time when we did our first obstacles, we couldn't really afford the whole restaurant for the whole week. And so we <laughs> had to partner with them. Uh, together and, and and we like that mentality you know uh, we even have like quasi competitors come it's not just it's not a it, it is opstars by lean data but we're the main sponsors but we want to help the ops professional in general so hopefully that and gamesite is kind of you know what they've done with pulse is kind of the model we really want to do for csl's is to really grow this yeah, I love it. I love that event. And, you know, to your point, there's not, there aren't enough events like that. And I've learned throughout this year by sharing just sort of my, my background and sort of my knowledge that there is a huge appetite by other ops professionals to be able to have that community kind of be able to network, be able to learn from each other. Because a lot of times in a lot of, especially smaller companies, the ops teams are lean, right? You yep. may be one or two people in a team. And so you don't have a lot of that, you know, being able to tap somebody on the shoulder and ask questions, you know, and turn around and ask people questions. So you go outside of your company or your organization and just knowing that other people are going through the same challenges that you are and that you can, there's multiple ways and just to try to learn best practices from others is huge. So I really love that event. I just appreciate it and I can't wait for it to, can't wait for when we can actually do it in person again too. <laughs> and, and even the best ops people are always can learn from each other. What we find always funny is the guys we consider op stars, they'll move with us and be like, well, how can I learn from other people? We're like, <laughs> You're in the forefront of everything. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, I know there's other ways, better ways to do this. And it's just that mentality of problem solving that makes the ops community uh, so great and, you know, so collaborative. You know, it's, it's, there's some other communities like this is proprietary IT, uh, IP to me. I don't, don't want to share. Uh, the ops folks aren't that way. They're just like, if there's a better way to solve this, uh, and they're, they're, they're proud of sharing it and helping others. And so it just makes it a, a really nice, easygoing community as you said i we are we can't wait to be bring people folks back in person virtual has been nice you know uh you know and hopefully it lets us brand broaden out our geographic reach but there's nothing like those random connections people meet and people make uh, relationships that last like for the rest of their careers it's pretty awesome 
Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Um, so you talked a little bit about um, COVID, unfortunately, with the restaurant being impacted by COVID. And I think a lot of businesses have, um, you know, obviously we have all been impacted by COVID, whether from a business perspective or from a personal perspective, you know, just being, um, you know, working from home and, you know, schools closed. And as you said, small businesses being impacted. How have you seen um, COVID impact your business, you know, if at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's somewhat similar to the to the broader economy uh, in the sense that it's kind of a K, right? We see some of our customers like Zoom and DocuSign just absolutely blow up, right? And they're just, uh, you know, their volumes and, and their revenue and their stock prices have done really, really well and they're growing really, really fast. Uh, on the flip side, we've seen other customers uh, retrench a bit, you know? Uh, we do have customers that, 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 that service uh, co-working spaces or, you know, the restaurant industry and so for us, we've seen both on both ends. We've seen a uh, high growth in certain sectors, uh, but we've also worked with some of our customers that have been COVID impacted. Uh, and, you know, we, we work them to, to restructure because we want to we, we think of these relationships, the long term relationships. And one of the things we are proud of is, you know, even sometimes where we've had to take some churn and down sales, we haven't lost our motives. Uh, and, you know, we're willing to make that investment with our customers uh, because we understand that we're looking at a, you know, growing with them over a five-year time horizon, five, 10 years, uh, not just about, uh, you know, maximizing revenue in the short term. And so those two things balance out. So where I, I, I think as a company, uh, we aren't completely COVID accelerated, but we continue to grow nicely, add great logos and work with our customers really well. And so uh, as a company, I think we're going to come out stronger on the other end of COVID uh, and, and are excited about kind of, you know, seeing the customer growth and uh, working with our customers uh, over the long period of time. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think with, um, with the teams working remote, if anything, I would think with, with a product like yours, revenue leaders are actually feeling the fact that it is a must have, right? Much more than just sort of nice to have, because now you have visibility across all of your sales and marketing, kind of what's happening in your funnel. So it's amazing. No, absolutely. Actually, you know, our, 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 uh, the, the biggest testament is if a customer is not doing well and they still keep you, then yeah. <laughs> you know they're cutting out a lot of other things. So, in some results, we spent a lot of time focused on, on uh, actually both ends of the spectrum. The customers that were growing like crazy, they had, the, they brought their own unique challenges. Uh, right. we had to really scale with some of those guys. Uh, but the other customers that we work with, uh, you know, I think those, those, you really forged some strong relationships for us. Uh, and being a customer first company, uh, that's important that we, we, we want them to know we're there for them uh, when they're going through tough times because uh, we want to grow with them when they bounce back up. And I think they will. So Yeah. So as I think about um, the revenue engine, right, in this podcast, right, I hope others will be able to really learn, right, how to accelerate revenue growth and power that revenue engine. So from your perspective, like what are some of the key elements that have contributed to the high growth that Lean Data has experienced? You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, obviously solving problems, being very customer centric. Are there things that you think about like, oh, wow, these are the things that, you know, I really did right. Or maybe some of the things that you wish maybe you knew earlier or maybe that you would do differently. 
Yeah. So I think on the stuff that we did right, I think it is customer first and really driving that virality. So you mentioned you're a three-time customer. That's actually not a rare story. Uh, I think I appreciate it, but we have a lot of repeat customers who bring us from place to place to place, and we love that, right? Uh, That's one of the things we really love is, you know, we we serve our customers well. And when we think about lifetime value, I tell folks, it's not even about that account. Think about really servicing those customers really well because they do, they then will take us to other places so the LTV is even higher right because that just makes it easier for us to get places and some of the larger enterprises well multiple customers come from multiple companies all land the same place and even though we were having a hard time penetrating initially when they all co- congregate together uh, that's when the kind of magic happens and you know this is like multiple people have used us so I definitely think that customer first mentality is something that I kind of instill in we talk about it in our onboarding to all new employees and, and that's something that we did absolutely right um, things that I probably would uh, do a little bit differently is uh, yeah like I, I think I needed to you know as a founder, really needed to drive it by the horns and understand that in the category creation space, more of that vision and messaging and elevator pitch needed to come from me. Uh, and so, I, you know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, sometimes we, we bring in folks with relevant experiences uh, and we're just like, okay, great do what you did there over here. And those experiences may not manifest itself because we're kind of in the category creation space. So I, I, at various points in time, I, I've had to really get much more involved. Um, and this is one of those cases where, you know, I am much more involved with kind of some of the messaging and elevator pitches around Lean Data. And I think I should have probably done that a little bit earlier. Uh, Lean Data has kind of gotten really good at really being kind of in the early adopter phase. Like, uh, you know, there, I have customers like, I don't know who does it use you guys, right? Uh, <laughs> that. It's Silicon Valley thing, right? Uh, but we got to cross the chasm. And for us, that that, that is that does require up-leveling the messaging, being kind of appealing to the late adopters. They need something different from from what, what, what the early adopters need. And, and I'm really working very closely in the company and helping us make that transition. And it, it, I think it was probably a year late in me realizing, dawning upon me that I needed to do that and I just can't rely on my team. And so uh, sometimes, you know, that's one of the things you get from a, a founder that the founders sometimes are, are the best people to sometimes drive some of that change. Uh, for us, it's this natural evolution. Most companies go through it. So we got to just cross that chasm. Um, but uh, that's what I'm focused on these days. That's awesome. That's great advice. I love that. I think that'll be definitely very helpful to others to, you know, really think about it. Because I think for us living in the Bay, you know, living in the Silicon Valley, sometimes we take it for granted that everyone understands tech, everyone understands, you know, how we do things, right? And so it is can be very different outside of the Bay Area and also outside of the the country, as well as outside of technology more so than geographically, I think is more even more important. Um, so as we as we wrap up, you know, I'd love to know two things about you. <laughs> one sure. is, you know, what is the one thing about Evan that others would be really surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I don't know if it's a surprise because I've been, so, so in, in my sense, I, I haven't actually uh, done sales ops or markups myself personally, right? So I've always been more of a product guy, uh, but uh, I was an industrial engineering major uh, an undergraduate. Uh, and so the one thing I do want everyone to know is 
this is how I live my, like I can relate to, to the ops professional because I am very process driven. Uh, and that's how I think. And, and as I, as I, as I do processes, that's how, how I go about things. I'm the guy who hates standing in line, right? Because I'm like, Hey, this line could go much more faster. Or, you know, I don't like sitting in traffic because I'm like, gosh, they designed these highways better. So I do think about that way and that mentality. And I think that's why I've gravitated to the ops profession so much. And I really like to connect with them is really about the fact that, you know, we're, I like to think about problem solving and it's not about, you know, it's not about politics or it's not about like, you know, it's not about the, you know, some sort of revenue goal. It's really around, I just like to solve interesting problems and figure that out. Uh, the other thing that people uh, may be surprised around is I really enjoy poker as my hobby, but I'm not. Poker? Yes, I love poker. Oh, I, I didn't know poker. that about you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and it's an interesting twist. For me, it's more about the intellectual challenge of figuring out people, figuring out contacts, and figuring out how cards. And it's this game that's taught me a lot of patience. Um, but yet, I don't like blackjack because I don't love the swings. So, uh, so it's kind of an interesting kind of dichotomy of like what part of the game really appeals to my mindset around thinking about process and problem solving versus the sake of gambling for the sake of gambling. So, and that's fine. Uh, there's some folks who really, really enjoy that as a process. Um, what I, what I want everyone else to know about me, especially the folks on this, on this channel is, is kind of the theme I've been talking about being customer first. I always love talking to our customers and we'll make time for it at any point in time. Uh, and really love it. I love talking to customers when they're not happy. I love talking to customers when they are happy. Uh, I learned equally amount from both cases and, uh, really hope that Whoever we talk to uh, just uh, takes me up on that. Uh, I always want to make sure I have an open door around that and really believe that's kind of our job as a company is to service them first. So. I love that, Evan. I, I I really appreciate that too as a customer too and as an ops <laughs> professional. <laughs> so definitely I do know that about you. Um, the poker surprised me a little bit, but now I totally understand why the strategy and sort of understanding the people. I mean, that's exactly what you do. So, so I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute thrill to be here with you and have a conversation. Um, you know, I just, I am so excited to see what's in store for you for 2021 and with the company. And I'm definitely looking forward to joining OpStars when, when we get that off and running this year. And hopefully maybe it'll be some kind of hybrid and we'll be able to do some in-person activities as well. Definitely. This was a great uh, time just flew by. And that's when it's, uh, you know, it's really, really cool. <laughs> definitely. So, I can talk hours with you. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.